0: Welcome back to the ENC Leadership Podcast. And we're talking today about becoming a calm leader as part of our series, uh, Leading in Anxious Times. We started this conversation last week with the last episode where we talked about how becoming a calm leader is, is goes a lot deeper than we think. Um, we talked about the fake maturity where there's a quote from the book, The Leader's Journey, where they said it's easier to appear calm than to be calm. And that's true, isn't it? That for many of us, we... We try to, to look calm on the surface, but re- in reality, we're still being driven by anxiety. And even though we might look calm, we're actually cutting ties with people or making judgments in our head, and that is the opposite of what we're trying to do here. We also talked about our first formations and how, how we were born or how we were raised or key incidents in our childhood or the kind of relationships we had with our family and friends inform us. And they um, influence the way we see the world, and for good and for bad. And that's why for many of the things that we lose uh, our composure at, we lose our wisdom in, it's because we're coming from those first formations. And so if we're coming from first formations, what we want to see is the transformation that God has for us. And that comes by the renewal of our mind, by letting God uh, change us and affect our thinking. You might want to go back to that episode um, again. And we talked at the end of it about how, uh, at least for us in ENC, we see Christianity as a great foundation for leadership, as the best foundation for leadership, because all of these other leadership principles and techniques and examples that we can see throughout history from people who were followers of Jesus and people who weren't, all of what they're able to do um, is only enhanced and made better or even made possible in the first place by having this faith in God that allows us to dig really deep in our hearts and see, Lord, how am I being triggered by things? How am I letting my own sinfulness uh, uh, influence or undermine the call that you have for me? And at the same time, it allows us to go higher than we can expect, deeper first into our hearts and then higher outside of it in the sense that we can expect change, real change, not just Um, in the world around us, but in ourselves. If we can see ourselves being transformed, then how much more for the world around us. This week, we promised, for this episode, we promised that we would give more practical tips. And this is coming from Chapter 5 of The Leader's Journey by Jim Harrington. And I really cannot recommend this book enough. We have not uh, even exhausted um, all of the stuff in this book. In fact, by the end of this series, we will only have done half of the book there's another half of the book that is really more about uh family counseling and seeing yourself and your family so please uh go get the book the leader's journey by jim harrington but uh as we promised last week let's look into it now um four ways that um the authors of the book recommend that we could be calm leaders and again remember calm leadership is not the uh the goal is not to be to just be a calm leader you know while the world is on fire around you, and then you do nothing. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is to know what to do, to know the right thing to do, the right place to start, the right people to tap and to listen to, we need to be calm. Otherwise, we're just going to be another symptom in the anxiety that's filling the whole world instead of being part of the cure that's helping people relate better, understand better, hear from God, and even take responsibility for themselves. So that's why we're saying calm leadership is the foundation. It's like the core. You know, when you imagine athletes doing all kinds of moves, whatever sport they're in, their core is important. Their abs and their back is important because it doesn't matter how strong your legs are, how strong your arms are, if your core is not well activated and it's not steady, then you're not going to be able to perform to the best of your ability. This is the core of your leadership, being that calm leader. And so we want to talk about four things that they discussed there. Number one is increase your self-awareness. Increase your self-awareness. Wow. Talk about something that is in short supply nowadays. We have awareness for almost everything else and yet so much lack or so little self-awareness. We can have awareness in so many issues and yet be aware of how we're projecting ourselves we have a lot of self-expression we have a lot of self uh, putting ourselves out there but where's the awareness and how we're really sounding see even when it comes to um talking about our mistakes there's a book that i love i'll quote more about it later from the life you've always wanted but in the book pastor john ortberg describes his own uh, struggle with self-awareness where he says yeah i, I confess things but even what I confess, even what I put forward about myself is already measured and calculated to be the best view of myself, to make me look good. That's hard. So how do we get self-awareness? Well, number one is self-disclosure, to be honest about what we're going through. And I've said it over and over again. It's probably its every single episode of this podcast, definitely every single episode of Leading in Anxious Times, the series, you need a group that you're talking to about this. Like we said last week, a uh, quote from the book, a lot of the times you're going to learn about your own anxiety and your own failures as a to be a calm leader in the rearview mirror. And don't discount those experiences. Look on them and look in the past and say, that's where I made a wrong turn. I've been listening to this thing. I thought I knew it, but I made another mistake. That's where you learn. That's self-disclosure. So I've loved the groups I've been in where we message each other, even personally, we write each other and we say, guys, I lost it again. I lost it with my wife. I lost it with my kids. I lost it with the students I've been meeting. I lost it with my friends. I lost it with my family. Wherever, that self-disclosure helps. That's increasing your self-awareness. Secondly, uh, according to the book, self-disclosure, and secondly, how to increase your self-awareness is by receiving feedback from different kinds of people. Self-disclosure allows us to say, here's who I am, here's what I'm going through. But there will always be that bias there. And that's why we need other people to call us out and to say, hey, you know what? There might be a little bit more than what you're just pointing out. To take it a little bit deeper. That's why I appreciate about my my conversations with, 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 like I've said before, with Seth about this kind of thing. Because I get feedback. And the kind of feedback we need needs to be a relationship with different kinds of people, not an echo chamber. Social media can very easily be an echo chamber. What is an echo chamber? Just confirmation of things you already know. People calling uh, who, who just repeat the, the, the opinions you've already formed for yourself. That doesn't help. That's not increasing your self-awareness. You're just with other people who are just as unaware as you. That's not what you want though, is it? You want people to help you be more aware. I'm going to quote something that I did earlier in the podcast already by John Stuart Mill where he says, I think this is in episode one maybe, The source of everything respectable in man, either as an intellectual or as a moral being, is that his errors are corrigible. They can be corrected. He is capable of rectifying his mistakes by discussion and experience. There must be discussion to show how experience is to be interpreted. There must be discussion to show how experience is to be interpreted. See, without feedback, we will have experiences, but we'll get into an echo chamber that just confirms our best thoughts about ourselves and denies any improvement we need to make, any fault we had on the matter, and then we come away saying, I was right, everybody else was wrong. What discussion does is to show us how experience is to be interpreted. It challenges our assumptions. It's painful. That's why uh, the Bible says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Who is kissing you? (laughs) It may be an enemy. Now, who is wounding you? It may be a friend. Do you have friends like that? who will give you feedback. Step number one to becoming a calm leader, increase your self-awareness. You increase your self-awareness, you increase your bullet time, like we described last week. You can see the world happening, you can watch yourself falling into these patterns and choose to make a different statement, choose to make a different response. This is the beginning. Of that superpower ability of being a calm leader, increase your self-awareness. Number two, monitor your thinking patterns. And I love how the book describes patterns because we fall into these ruts, and they're kind of predictable. That's why they're patterns. We fall into them, and then <laughs> we, we, until we end up at the conclusion. And what happens is we don't remember that we're doing these patterns. So we think, well, this was inescapable. This was there was no other way. You know there is another way. But you gotta catch the thinking pattern. You gotta catch how you're thinking, and that's forcing you to shut down certain options and close those off. And when you catch the thinking pattern, then you can see where it's closing off stuff, and you're saying, wait a minute, but that, that's a valid option. Why not this? Why not that? And you can take a different route. Let me give some examples, and the book is great enough. And there's a lot more in the book, okay? But for the sake of length, I'm only gonna give five, and they give around like 10 or 12 in the book, okay? Um, so please uh, get the book, The Leader's Journey. Some thinking patterns that are uh, evidence of anxiety and not uh, are inhibiting us from becoming calm leaders. Number one, all or nothing thinking. All or nothing. Black and white thinking. You know, there are some things in the world that are black and white, but most things in the world are not black and white. The moment you catch yourself going into all or nothing thinking, black and white, you either say everything I'm saying on social media or you are my absolute enemy, you got to ask yourself, wait a minute, could anxiety be fueling this? Why are these my only two options? Why am I stuck here? Who says? If you've picked up anything in this podcast, you'll know we don't like false dichotomies. You don't get to dictate that I only have two choices here. Sometimes that's true, all right? Most of the time it's not. Are you falling into all or nothing thinking? Secondly, um, mind reading. When we assume someone else's motives, when we assume someone else's, oh, this is why you said that. You could have only said that because you are like this. You could have only have done that because you are like this. You don't know that person. Remember, a key component, in this way of thinking and looking at the world, is that you are responsible for your actions and they will be responsible for theirs. If we want to believe that other people are responsible for their actions, we cannot mind read. We cannot expect that just because you've done this before and I think this is where you're going, that this is always where you're going. You got to respect them. And honestly, even if you were right about that, but if you don't let them say it for themselves, you're not building a good relationship. Mind reading. Uh, I do this a lot. This is probably of all of these things. This is my biggest one when it comes to my anxiety. When it comes to my anxiety, that's Joe. You know, He loves to mind read. I'll mind read my wife and say she could only have said this because this is how evil she is. I look at my leaders. They didn't, they didn't approve my request because this is how they are. Or oh, I think of uh, students, oh, they didn't show up for this meeting because they're that immature here. I'm mind reading. That's, that's anxiety. You're not respecting them. You're not letting them be the individuals God made them to be. You can ask questions. That's fine. You can ask for clarification. You can stay close, but don't mind read. Number one, all or nothing. Think. Number two, mind reading. Number three, fortune telling. We predict how things will turn out. and It's usually badly. And if you do this, then this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen. And that's why this is super urgent right now. It might be. It might not be. And fortune telling, you know, and all or nothing thinking tend to go together. Because fortune telling says, if you go left, it will only be this disaster. There's no other way. The moment you turn left, there's no other way this could turn out. Well, this could be fixed later on. Mm, Maybe. Maybe not. Number four, magnification, where one thing dominates our entire view. That's my second uh, biggest pattern among these things. Magnification. You want to know if Joseph's being anxious, he won't shut up. He won't stop messaging people about this one particular topic. <laughs> There's lots of things I need to work on. There's lots of things that are going on in my life at any given moment. My wife needs love and care she needs help with the kids my kids need education and discipline and and the teachings of god my work and all of these things but when i'm anxious one thing only one thing dominates my entire view i'm not saying there aren't any emergencies okay if philip falls and cracks his head open that's the only thing i should be thinking about at that moment of course that's magnified here's the thing though we when we are anxious we can't tell the difference If something is a legitimate emergency that needs that magnification or something is an artificially magnified thing, that simply because of how we're browsing social media, simply because of how we woke up, simply because of our first formations, we're going back to those things and we make it the biggest, most important thing in the world right now. That's stopping you from becoming a calm leader. From sitting back and saying, okay, what should I do? What is God calling for me at this time, in this moment? Magnification. Finally, the last one I'm going to share, though the book has a bunch more, you really should get the book, is emotional reasoning. I feel, therefore it is. I feel this, therefore this is what is. Mm, Maybe, maybe not. Now, we're not uh, discounting your feelings. We're not saying that's not true. We've said that several times in this podcast. Go back to the leader's emotions. Your feelings are valid. But that doesn't mean they are the accurate picture of reality. And leaders, because we're concerned about results, we need to be concerned about reality. We need to be concerned about what's really happening, not just what we think about what's happening. Both are important. I remember one time I was anxious, anxious. So, I got into all or nothing thinking, mind reading, magnification, and emotional reasoning. And I went to uh, my supervisor and my good friend, Pastor Gilbert Foliente. And I said, Pastor Gilbert, I am so bothered. I'm so bothered that, and I began to make generalizing statements. You know, that this, the older generation of our movement is this, is that, does this, does that. It was all or nothing. My generation versus yours. It was mind reading. The fact that this one person did this, all of you are thinking the same. It was magnification. This is the only thing I want to talk about. This is the only thing worth talking about. It was emotional reasoning. I feel, therefore, it is. I love Pastor Gilbert for not firing me. (laughs) I wouldn't have done that. But for not just booting me out or getting anxious by my statement, but listening first and then clarifying, qualifying, and specifying. Clarify, qualify, specify. Hi, Joseph, where is this coming from? Why are you saying this to me now? Oh, because this one person did this. So it was one person. Yeah. does that, Do you really think this means that this is happening for everywhere? Well, no, that's not true. I've seen evidence to the contrary in other places. Okay, so it's not the whole generation. Naman pala. <laughs> well, no, actually, it was this one conversation with this one guy. And generally, he's great at that. It's just that, you know... At the end of it, Pastor Gilbert, pa-play naman. Medyo na-stress ako. Yata ako. <laughs> this is why we need community to help us with this emotional reasoning. Number two, in becoming a calm leader, number one, increase your self-awareness. Number two, monitor your thinking patterns. How are you thinking? What is happening here? Where are you falling for a trap? What logical fallacies are you committing? Number three, manage your feelings manage your feelings. and we've said this several times. and, and I love this this great framework that they used uh, uh, in, in that Jim Harrington said that he applies personally. He says, I name my feelings, I own my feelings, and I examine my feelings. Name your feelings, own your feelings, examine your feelings. Number one, name when you name your feelings, use I language. I feel tired. I feel angry. I feel worried. I feel stressed. I feel sad. I feel uh, depressed. Say it. Use I language. Your feelings are valid, but use I language. That's very important because we can't mind read. We can't say you're like this. You know, we don't know that necessarily. Maybe, maybe not. But my feeling is valid. This is what I feel. Secondly, own my feeling. When I own my feeling, I'm saying, Lord, I am responsible. For this, please give me the grace to manage these feelings. I'm not going to say they should, others should, you should. No, I'm going back to the principles. I can't control your behavior. More insight doesn't produce change in you, but I'm telling myself that I I will take responsibility for this. And then thirdly, examine your feelings. What are they telling you? Maybe they're right. Maybe you should do what they say. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're incomplete. Let me give an example from my relationship with, with my wife uh, that if any of you can tell, you know, this is one of the closest relationships in my life. So this is where I experience the most joy, the most pleasure, the most grace of God, and also the most anxiety. <laughs> Isn't that true for all of us? The most important relationships are where we express the most anxiety often. But I went to my wife and uh, we had the. she said something to me that, that I didn't like. And normally, we would have fallen into the predictable thinking patterns, and it sort of in a fight that would have lasted hours, if not days. But because of this podcast, because of this amazing book, I was like, okay, okay, let's try something differently. So she said something to me that when I woke up, as I was lying down in bed, and I didn't like what she said, so my facial expression changed. She later told me she could tell that my facial expression changed, even though my eyes were still closed. And uh, I thought, okay, name, own, examine. Name. How do you feel, Joe? I feel angry. I feel angry with my wife. I feel that she is disrespectful. I feel that she doesn't appreciate me. I feel that she doesn't, she never shows any gratitude to me. Great. Valid. Own it. This is my responsibility. However true or false these feelings are, I'm responsible for how they're managed. I will. I'm responsible of whether or not I choose to sin in my anger. I'm responsible for, for how I talk to her. I can't relinquish that responsibility and say, she said this to me, therefore, I'm absolved. I can say whatever I want. No, I own these feelings. And then thirdly, examine. Are these feelings true? Is my wife ungrateful? In that particular moment, yes. In general, no, she's amazing. Does my wife disrespect me? No, no. I mean, that one time, yeah, but in general, overall, no, she doesn't. I mean, think about it. She's this beautiful, rich, successful, famous woman, and she chooses to submit to me. I mean, sure, I'm I'm gorgeous and all of that, but, but I'm definitely not as rich and famous as her. But she submits to me as her husband. Wow, what an amazing girl. Should I respond to this feeling right now? Well, by the time I got to that question, I didn't even feel it anymore. I'm, I'm so blessed. <laughs> I love my wife. I didn't even feel the need to bring it up. And I, we chose a different path. And later on in the day, Carla would remark that, huh, I thought we were going to fight about this. And we didn't. Bulletin. We got to change it. How are you and your feelings about the world right now? How are you and your feelings about your schooling, about your family, about about uh, what you should be doing? Name. Say it. Use I language. Own it. Lord, what are you calling me to do? Examine. Should I do what these feelings are saying? Manage your feelings. How to become a calm leader? Number one, increase your self-awareness. Monitor your thinking patterns. Manage your feelings. And... Number four, and personally, this is huge, especially right now in this day and age. Slow the pace. Slow the pace. See, anxiety speeds the pace. Anxiety says, no, 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 no. Why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you saying anything? And you've got to recognize when some of those things are valid and some of those things are, I don't need to. I can stop. I can put the phone down. I can wait to respond to that text. I don't need to pick up that call. Slow the pace, and this brings me to a book that I really, really love. That I can highly, you know, if you if you want to get more uh, about working on yourself to be the leader God's called you to be, the life you've always wanted by John Ortberg. I quoted it er earlier already, and they have a chapter there called "Overcoming Hurry," or something like that, like "Overcoming Hurry Sickness." And John Ortberg, uh, this pastor says that one of the best pieces of advice he ever got from his mentor was this. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I like that. Be ruthless, but with hurrying. I will not let myself be hurried. A few more quotes from the book. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy our souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. The great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, but settle for a mediocre version of it. Again and again, as we pursue spiritual life, we must do battle with hurry. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. He describes something called hurry sickness and he says one of the great illusions of our day is that hurrying will buy us more time. Hurrying will buy it, it doesn't it doesn't you'll just put it somewhere else because it's a lifestyle and here's the thing hurry sickness affects all of us. We've got to acknowledge that because of social media, because of the instantness of just the digital world, we are all affected by hurry sickness right now we can't wait for something and i'm not just saying about being impatient with other people what happens is we become impatient with ourselves we need answers now we want change now we need to respond now who says did god say that yesterday in a message pastor gilbert uh, Foliente shared a super, super powerful where uh, the disciples asked Jesus, will you at this time, will you now bring back the kingdom of Israel? And G- will you make things better? Will you fix things? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the day or the hour. So there's lots of things we're not going to know the timing of. But hurry makes us want it now to our detriment. The book quotes someone named Meyer Friedman. Interesting, because family systems theory, this whole thing, this whole anxious thing we've been talking about, uh, has been popularized by a teacher named Edwin Friedman, but there's no relation that I've found. Meyer Friedman defines hurry sickness as, above all, a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time, frequently in the face of opposition. Real or imagined from other people. That quote's going to be in the show notes on encleaders.ph. But look at that more and more things, more and more events, less and less time, often assuming that you're opposing other people, being opposed by people. How is hurry sickness affecting you today? Last quote from The Life You've Always Wanted He says, Hurry is not just a disordered schedule, hurry is a disordered heart. Hurry is a disordered heart. How are you being hurried right now? Who is hurrying you? How are you hurrying yourself? Let's be honest. Being on social media isn't helping you. It's not. Put it down. Look up Ryan George and social media accounts. He's my fa- one of my favorite comedians. What he described, he has this skit about how if you, if you look at social media and you just take it out, what, what, what's happening is we don't want that solitude. Just take a time out. Jim Harrington says that also. Take a time out. Clarify before responding. That's what Pastor Gilbert said to me. Sorry, I said last quote from Life You've Always Wanted. Here's a few more. Solitude is important as a leader. Pastor Jansen Moradas of our Every Nation Church, our Victory Church in Santa Rosa, calls it leadership space. Where's your space as a leader? John Ortberg says Solitude is the one place where we can gain freedom from the forces of society that will otherwise relentlessly mold us. Who are we supposed to be molded by? Whose image are we supposed to be molded into? the image of Christ. But we are soaking ourselves, baptizing ourselves into the mindsets of the world, into social media issues of the world, and we're more molded by that than by Jesus. Henry Nowen, who's one of my favorite authors, his book on the prodigal son, oh my gosh, super uh, tearjerker for me when I was in college. But he says, In solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding. I get rid of my scaffolding. John Ortberg quotes him there and he clarifies what this means. Scaffolding is all the stuff we use to keep ourselves propped up, to convince ourselves that we are okay or or important. In solitude, we have no friends to talk with, no phone calls or meetings, no TV sets, no music or books or newspapers. If I may add, no social media, no hashtags, no... Advertisements to occupy and distract the mind Each one of us would be In the words of the old hymn Just as I am Neither accomplishments nor resume Nor possessions nor networks would define me Just me And my sinfulness My desire or lack of desire For God That's solitude That's what you need That's what I need every day. That's what quiet time should be That's what devotions with God should be We get there, we're slowing the pace. The world falls into bullet time all around you. Then issues that were magnified, that were saying this is the only thing, the only thing, the biggest thing, the biggest thing. Suddenly you see them in their proper perspective. And I'm not saying you don't respond. You can respond. You should respond if God tells you to, but now you'll do it in the right way. You're becoming that calm leader. So that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Increase our self-awareness by confession, self-disclosure, and by receiving feedback from people. Monitor our thinking patterns, whether it's the black or white thing or the maximizing or minimizing things or emotional reasoning. Manage our feelings. Name, own, and examine our feelings. And slow the pace. Embrace the solitude. This is the foundation of leadership. When we do this, we move to becoming leaders and not being led. We can enact change in our world and in the world around us and not have the world mold us and dictate our responses. Then you'll be the kind of leader the world needs, your family needs, your friends need. Some questions as we process this. Who is your community who gives you honest feedback? How are you talking to them? Not in a public post, in a private conversation. Number two, what patterns do you catch yourself falling into regularly? Maybe you're like me, you get into mind reading, you get into magnification, uh, whatever. Which ones are, are more like you? And thirdly, how are you slowing the pace in your life? How are you doing it regularly? You know what many of us do? We'll do it when there's an emergency, but it's not a lifestyle you lifestyle. Eh? That's why daily devotions are so important. It's not for information. It's for me to stop and to say, Jesus, I need you. Inform my thoughts today. Guide my actions. Holy Spirit, fill me today. Shape the way I respond to things. And even in the middle of the day, take those breaks. 15 minutes, it's a 10 minutes. No phone. Wash the dishes. Just pray. See what happens. See how you'll improve in your leadership. Well, that's it. We will continue and maybe close out uh, this Leading in Anxious Times uh, series next week. If you want to find out more about this podcast, you can find it on encleaders.ph, but then this podcast can be found anywhere else that podcasts can be found. Uh, God bless you. would love to hear from you. If you want to contact me directly about this, you can leave a message at encleaders.ph or in the Instagram I use for this, at Joe. Send me a message because I don't add everybody there. All right. So send me a message so I know you're coming from the podcast and then I'll add you. God bless you in being a calm leader this week.